And as you turn your attention tonight to the third chapter of the book of Romans, as we continue our journey here in the gospel of grace, would you pray with me as we ask God to bless his word as we study? Father, we, uh, as your children, have come tonight, Lord, to praise you, to worship you, to sing about you, to glorify your name, uh, to fellowship together, to experience the goodness of gathering together and being in one accord. But we have also come to hear from heaven by the power of your word. And we pray that you would anoint us now to hear from you. That you'd speak through the majesty of your word. That these pages that are covered with ink would become alive and jump into our hearts. Bless us now with your presence in this place. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now if you remember last time as we finished up, when you start to think about what the Apostle Paul has been saying, now he starts, and remember chapter 1 is this incredible bad news about the condition of man's heart, amen? And we have to have the bad news in order to understand the good news. If you jump straight into the good news, most people don't realize that there's any need for you to receive that good news unless you realize you don't meet the criteria to receive that grace. So the bad news is necessary, And so here's what happens with the Apostle Paul. Remember, he is a Jew. He is a Pharisee. He's a member of the Sanhedrin. And so he is about as Jewish as anyone can get. And so naturally, his detractors are also going to be Jewish because as far as they're concerned, he is a turncoat. He's gone to the dark side. he's, He's joined. He's now on the other team. And so it would be natural for them to think, what advantage is there to being Jewish? The Apostle Paul said, look, circumcision doesn't avail anything. Being Greek, being Jewish doesn't avail it. Okay, well, what is it? And so the Apostle is going to make a case. And he's going to speak to us this way in verse 1 here in Romans 3 as we continue in the gospel of grace. What advantage then has the Jew? That would be a question you would ask. Now think back for a moment on all of the promises that God has made to the Jewish people. And ask yourself some simple things. Was God lying? Does he not care? Did he renege? Is he unfaithful? You see, that's the problem that so many people have when they're confronted with the majesty of God's grace. You, you, you mean I don't have to do anything but believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved? And you tell them yes. And you then tell them their life will change. And there's, well, well, what part is it for me? Do I have to belong to an organization? Do I have to join a club? Do I have to go to church? Do I have to, what do I have to do? There's got to be something I have to do. There's got to be something I have to be. And for the Jewish people, they certainly would have thought, look, we're God's chosen people. We must have a special place that allows us a pass on some of these things. What advantage then has the Jew? Or, or what is the profit of circumcision? And Paul says, much in every way. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. 
And so he begins by making it very clear. Look, there's a special place tonight as we sit in this building. The Jewish people are still God's chosen people. That has not changed. And God still has a plan that includes the redemption of national Israel. And he will fulfill the promises that he has made. But people have been looking at the Jewish people to the point that, let's just exterminate them. They're kind of a problem. Chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? You can see the questioning mind begin to roll. Certainly not, for indeed let God be true and every man a liar as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. Uh, That incredible song of repentance from David himself in Psalm 51. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? Bad things indeed do happen to good people. People who seem to have every advantage and every type of ability to be above the rest sometimes seem to have the worst of it. For I speak as a man, certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? In other words, if he's going to allow these things to happen to the Jewish people, is there any hope for anybody else? If God's people, the chosen people, if Israel, the children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, whom God made the covenant promises to, If they're not in a special stead, what gives, God? For if the truth of God is increased through the lie to his glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner? (laughs) Why not, let us say, do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, and their condemnation is just. Let me state very clearly, God loves the Jewish people. And they still are the inheritors of the promises that God made unconditionally to them. And one day God will fulfill every last one of those promises. When we get to chapter 11, we'll see that unfold. But when you look at their rather tragic history, one could say, That's just crazy speak. They're God's chosen people? Really? Seriously? Let's look at it a little bit. In spite of that reality, in spite of their noble heritage, in spite of the saga that that is their existence on this earth and remains so tonight, if you travel with us to Israel, as you drive throughout the land and you're on a tour bus. We'll start normally on the coast. And when you're on the Mediterranean side of the West Bank, the Palestinian territories, the nation of Israel there is nine miles wide. 
nine miles, the country is nine miles wide. If you go to the other side of the West Bank, to the eastern side of the West Bank, and you go from the eastern side of the West Bank to the Jordanian border, in spots it's five miles wide. This tiny nation that has had to scrap and fight and contest the moment they declared independence on May 14th of 1948, they were attacked by every single Arab country that surrounded them. The day. They would then be again attacked in 1967, forced to fight for their survival. Again in 1973. And they fight to this day to maintain a piece of land that is one-third the size, not of California, of San Bernardino County. That doesn't sound like a blessed group of people to me. They started out as menial slaves. We really pick up the history of the Jewish people as a whole in Egypt for 400 years in slavery. Doesn't sound like a blessed people. They would eventually enter the land that was called Goshen, but they'd be pushed out of it. After several hundred years, and we see the story of Joshua in the land as he's in the land and he's making this conquest of the land that was given to them. That didn't work very well either. They were disobedient. They did not drive out the Hittites. They did not drive out the Amalekites. They chose to make peace with their enemy. And they suffered for it. And still to this day suffer because they did not make a total conquest of the land of Israel. Not long after they rebuilt their homeland, they'd be conquered by Greece. About 185 BC, Antiochus Epiphanes goes into the temple and slaughters a pig inside of the holy place. The temple is desecrated. Then they begin to kill off the priests. Under Roman rule, they would fare no better. Thousands of Jewish rebels would rise up and they'd be killed. Tens of thousands by Herod the Great. By AD 70, Roman general Titus Vespasian wipes out the temple, pushes the temple off the temple mount, and basically kills off most of the Jewish citizens. Hopefully end of rebellion. It doesn't end there. After that time, according to Josephus, almost all of the Jews, especially the men, over a million of them, were either killed or sold into slavery. By AD 115, the Jews in in Cyrene and Egypt and Cyprus, Mesopotamia, Almost a thousand Jewish towns wiped out of existence during that period of time. Taken to near extinction, 600,000 Jewish men lost their lives during that period of time. When you think of their history, the Byzantine branch of the Roman Empire comes completely against, by 628, there are less than probably 200,000 Jews in the entire world. That's all that's left. 
Then you make it to our time and you think about the history of the Jewish people. The final crusade. As, as the crusades began, it was supposedly to liberate Jerusalem from the hands of the Ottoman Turks. From Islamic rule. Most of you even know the story of Saladin. Defeats the British crusaders are driven back to Acre where they hold up in a fort. The Jewish people paid the price for that. The crusaders and the Turks wiped out the Jews. During the Spanish Inquisition, most of us are fairly familiar with the story of Christopher Columbus, but most of us don't know that a vast amount of that treasure that was gathered that Christopher Columbus was financed with actually came from the destruction of several hundred thousand Jews in Spain. Their treasure was taken. The rest of that is the history of the United States. 1492. Columbus sails the ocean blue with money taken from the Jew. Think about it. It's a pretty sad history. Wiped out in Ukraine. So much of their history was slaughtered. By the time we get to the Holocaust, the Jewish people, since the Spanish Inquisition, have managed to rise back up to about the population that lives in national in Israel today. About 8 million. That's all that lives there. There are way more people in the greater Los Angeles area than Jewish people in Israel in totality. During the Nazi Holocaust, 6 million Jewish people lost their life, again being brought to the verge of extinction. Theodor Herzl, the modern Zionist movement, and so we have the founding of Israel in 1948. And since that founding to tonight, they have fought for every square inch of land. To the point that when we were in Israel, we're looking over into Syria and you can see the bombs exploding. That's their daily life. The first, the second, the third, the fourth intifada. Over 20,000 rockets have been launched by Hamas primarily into Israel. Can you imagine what would happen if that happened here? Let's go way wacko for a moment. And all of a sudden from Tecate and Mexicali and Tijuana, all of a sudden rockets start raining down on San Diego. In about 10 nanoseconds, those jets are taken off from Miramar Naval Air Station and taking off from North Island Naval Air Station. We'll park a Nimitz-class carrier and northern Mexico will cease to exist. That's what would happen. But the whole world comes against Israel for simply protecting itself against a constant barrage of rockets. Nearly daily bombings and stabbings. And somehow, they're to blame. 
The possession of land by the Arab world that surrounds Israel is 80,000 times as much square miles as Israel possesses. And yet, these are God's chosen people. So the question that Paul really brings to light still haunts us to this day, doesn't it? What advantage is there to being Jewish? Very much and in a great way, but not in the way that the Jewish people thought. You see, the Jewish people believed so much that they were God's chosen people that they would simply be saved by being Jewish. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that anyone is saved because of their affiliation with any group, including being Jewish. And so the apostle starts on this journey that takes us to a place that we need to consider our own lives. As I said last time, what is your security in? Where do you place your security? Are you trusting that your grandmother, like mine, was a pianist, an organist, in a Methodist church? That you were confirmed? That you were sprinkled as a child? That you were born into a Christian home? That somehow your mom or your dad, because they are believers, you are also a believer? No, everyone has to make that choice for themselves. And no one is saved because they're affiliated with anyone else. And so it's not about Baptists and Presbyterians and Foursquare and Assemblies of God and Calvary Chapel people and non-denominational people. It is about the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. And it is by grace through faith that you are saved. And so the Jewish people are going, well, what about us? We, we have to get a pass. Look at our history. We were taken captive by the Assyrians. We were taken captive by the Babylonians. We endured thousands of years of persecution. Surely God would save us simply because we're his chosen people. And the Apostle Paul says, no. God says, no. And that just fried them like you can't believe. The Sadducees, the Pharisees, the high priest, all of them now turn their attention. Paul, are you actually attacking God's people? Are you saying that the promises that were made to us are meaningless? If our Jewish heritage doesn't matter, what gives? What goes? What gives, God? And so the apostle begins to remind them, look, you've been given the oracles of God. And so in some unbelievably wonderful ways, the unconditional promises. Remember, God made two types of promises to Israel. He made promises to them that were clearly conditional. And he said, if you will obey me, you will receive these things. So much so that on Mount Ebal and Mount Gerizim, 
When they gathered together to worship the Lord there, there was a mount of blessing and a mount of cursing. And if you obeyed God, you had the blessings of God. And if you disobeyed God, you had the curses of God. So there were clearly conditional promises made to Israel. Now, praise God, your salvation is unconditional. Amen? It's grace through faith. That's not conditioned on you. But if you are a child of God, then your life will change. And you will allow Jesus Christ to be Lord. But to the children of Israel, he said, look, Abraham, I'm going to make you great. Your name will be great on all this earth. And in fact, I'm going to change you from a father of many to a father of multitudes. I'm going to make you the father of all nations. And from your seed, Messiah will come. Furthermore, he promised in the Davidic, the Davidic covenant that it would be literally on David's throne that Messiah would sit. So the Jewish people are very, 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 very important because if they die out, God's a liar. He also promised in Ezekiel 37 that he would literally raise them up from dead bones and bring them back into their own land where they would speak their own language. You realize that happened in 1948. And they are back in the land, they are in prosperity, and they are speaking their own language. That took 2,000 years from when the Lord Jesus left this earth. The Jewish people had the Ten Commandments. Can you imagine? The basis of almost all human government at its core is a structure somewhat like, if not the exact, Ten Commandments. You travel to our nation's capital. You go to the Supreme Court building. If you look up on the facade that's on both sides, because there's two sets, you'll see the great lawgivers. And on one end, guess who's dead in the middle? Moses. When you enter into the Supreme Court chambers, carved on the wood doors into the chamber and carved on the fresco behind the justice's bench, guess what's there? The Ten Commandments. The greatest democracy that this world has ever seen was built on the Jewish Ten Commandments given to Moses. So there's a serious advantage to being one of the tribe of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They were blessed like no other people. They had their representative, representative Moses, literally talk to God. He said, come on, Moses, I want to meet with you. I'm going to hide you in the cleft of the rock, and my shadow's going to pass. But you can't see me, because if you see me, you'll die. But I'm going to talk to you. Can you imagine? They had their man talk to God. And from your seed, the woman's seed, will come Messiah. It was so important to the Apostle Paul that by the time we get to chapter 9, you're going to find this in verse 3. For I wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brethren, my kinsmen according to the flesh, the Jewish people in other words, who are Israelites 
to whom belong the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service and the promises. Those are the fathers and from whom is the Christ according to the flesh. You talk about the promises of God. No, there's a great advantage to being the Jewish person. But it can't save you. You see, that's a special group of people. Less than one-tenth of one percent of all people on planet Earth tonight possess Jewish DNA. That's a tiny group. That means... 99.99% of us don't have it. Very precious in the sight of the Lord. God had adopted them as his children. He loved them as his own. So much so that the prophet Joel would write, I'm one day going to judge the entire world because of what they did with my land and my people Israel. You see that? Read Joel 3 when you get home. You don't think the Jewish people are important. One of the things that is so striking to me, and one of the reasons that it is important, as Dennis rightly said, we need to vote because our support for national Israel, I believe, means the survival of our nation. Because blessed is a nation whose God is the Lord, and I will, Genesis chapter 13 says, I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who curse you. So anybody that thinks supporting the Jewish people is an option for any nation on earth, that is a bad option for any government. Because to do so, you do not only at your own peril, but at the peril of having God against you. Very much in every way, we are to love the Jewish people. But tragically, the Jewish people began to focus on all the wrong things. So much so that for a period of time, and it's recorded in Second Chronicles 34, they actually lost the original copy of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Now, I don't know about you, but if God gave you an autographed copy of his word, I'm pretty sure that's going in a special place for most of us. That'd be right there, you know, you go to the National Archives, you got the Declaration of Independence, the Constitution, Bill of Rights, Mayflower Compact, all those things that are contained there. Can you imagine the original of the first five books of the Bible, and they lost them. Hilkiah, the high priest, during that time of the restoration of the temple, and begins to honor the Lord's commandments and observe his cer- ceremonies under the godly king Josiah. But they had gotten so lost that they believed that what mattered was the Babylonian Talmud. What the priest thought about what they believed the word said can I tell you it's what the word says that we care about not about what other people think about what it says but what it actually says is why interpretation is so important 
If you can't rightly interpret the word, you cannot rightly apply the word. And if you haven't observed the actual text, you cannot do that. So you need to observe it, interpret it, then apply it. You cannot apply it and then do it backwards. Well, we think it means this. It says what it says, it means what it says. Huge mistake. The second thing that they said was, man, Paul, it kind of sounds like, they're in verses 3 and 4, you're attacking God's promises. Notice verse 3, for what if some did not believe? Would their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Certainly not. For indeed, let God be true and every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and as you may overcome when you are judged. God made promises to Israel, and they were very specific. And you can't claim security in anything other than God. They were claiming security in their heritage. Without repentance. Can I remind you that nowhere in God's word does it say that you can somehow fake the repentance thing? You need to actually turn from your sin. It was true for them, it's true for us. Isaiah 55, if you want to turn there, it says this in verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. This is the Old Testament. And let the unrighteous man his thoughts. And let him return to the Lord, and he will have compassion on him. To our God, for he will abundantly pardon. God's in the forgiving business. But you've got to ask for his forgiveness. Now, if, if you come over to my house, and let's say I have a stack of money on the counter, and when you come in, you happen to notice that stack of money, and while you're wandering around the house, you happen to help yourself and fill your pockets with it. And, and I walk up and I notice, you know, my 20 bucks is gone. And I say, you know, did you see that 20 bucks? And you say, no, not really. And then I, I look, and you didn't know it, but I happen to write on the other side, these are Jeff's bucks. And, 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 you know, one of them's hanging out of your pocket, and it's, it's a Jeff dollar. And I say, isn't that one of my Jeff dollars in there? And, well, yeah. But, you know, you left it out there, and I couldn't really help myself. And I said, well, could I have that back? And, and you begrudgingly reach into your pocket, and you hand it back to me. And I turn my back, and as soon as I turn my back, you stuff those things back in your pocket. Do you think that I think that you want my forgiveness? The answer is no. I'm not going to think you want my forgiveness. I'm going to think you want me to boot you out of my house, right? Can I tell you, God thinks about the same thing. If you want God's forgiveness, you need to stop doing what it is that got you in trouble. And the Jewish people were saying, look, well, I don't think we want to do that. I thought we had unconditional approval of God. No, your personal position with God has always been conditioned on you for us in grace, believing on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't just get it just because God is good. God is good all the time. God is good, amen? 
those few conditional promises, you need to make sure that you're keeping your part. The unconditional promises, you can absolutely know God will keep his. So they were saying, well, look, they're all lumped together. And scripture says, oh, no, there were unconditional promises made to the nation Israel, but he also made conditional promises to him. And it is those conditional promises that one by one, those who failed to heed the word of the Lord perished because they would not repent. But the unconditional ones, God's still going to keep. He's going to make good on every last one of them. Zechariah chapter 12 verse 10 says, I will pour out upon the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and of supplication so that they will look on me whom they have pierced and mourn. That hasn't happened yet. Not in totality as a nation, but it will. And that is exactly what the tribulation is all about. Because God's going to finally turn up the heat on this world in such a way. And brothers and sisters, I believe that day is coming. And pending what happens in our country in the next month or so, you may have the burner turned up from kind of sort of simmering to full boil. That's what's at stake right now. But God's still going to save national Israel. We'll get to that in Romans 11. I don't want to spoil our time there. But it is inevitable. God will do it. And one of the things that bothers me so much in our world today, as I was sharing with Amir, who's, for those of you that were with us, is our tour guide in Israel. And he was talking about all the denominations here in the United States that have bought into BDS. That's boycott, divest, and sanction against Israel to the point of pulling all their financial resources, not buying products made in Israel, doing everything they can to to hurt our Jewish brothers and sisters who have yet to see Messiah. And those denominations are many. Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, Presbyterian Church USA, United Methodists, many, many, many others have bought into this. They've pulled their, any, any investment that they have. And trust me, some of these denominations have massive bank accounts that are invested all over the world. And they have pulled those funds if they have anything to do with national Israel. Because they believe that God has no plan to redeem national Israel. That's the heart of replacement theology. That we as the church have replaced national Israel and now we are the inheritors of those promises. Now the good news is we've been grafted in. That is the good news. And the good news is by grace and through faith one day we're going to heaven. But God, amen, amen. But God made promises to national Israel. He said, I will redeem them with my own strong hand. I will bring them back out of captivity. I will place them in their own land. And from the time that they go into that land, read it, Ezekiel 37, 38, 39, they will never, ever, 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 
ever again be displaced. Now you look at the world today, there are going to be no takers. You go to Vegas and place odds on Israel, everybody's banking on the Arab nations and Russia. And by the way, I didn't just tell you to go to Vegas. So get it out of your little minds. But metaphorically speaking, if you were going to do something so foolish as to go to Las Vegas and throw away God's money, you see the future is certain for the Jewish people. God will save them. So much so that the Apostle Paul in chapter 11, when we get there, will say, and one day all Israel shall be saved. But there's a deeper truth, and it was in the thinking of the Jewish people. And that truth was that salvation was never actually offered to anyone other than individually. When you ladies get to Hebrews chapter 11, you're going to see that. One at a time, Abraham. One at a time, David. One at a time, Rahab. One at a time, anyone who by faith waited, by faith believed, by faith stepped across that line and said, I don't care if I'm associated with anybody. I just want to be associated with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And I believe Messiah is coming. And so they waited, and when Jesus was crucified, and he first descended who ascended, he set those captives free. He went down and met with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and said, it's time to go, guys. Price has been ta- paid. That's why Jesus said to tell us, die, it is finished. It's done. The plan that's been there from the beginning A plan that includes me sacrificing my life for yours so that you can have my righteousness placed in your account. You can be justified, made just as if you had never sinned. That plan's done. You see, any other way attacks God's purity. And so at the end of this, there's this this argument that's made in these final verses as we wrap this up tonight. But if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? You see, they're they're sitting there thinking, well, we thought we were saved because we went to the temple. We thought we were saved because we were Jewish. We thought we were saved because we gave our tithe of mint and cumin. We thought we were saved because on the day of Yom Kippur, we went to the temple and we had a sheep sacrifice. There was one sacrifice for all ten of us in our family. And our sins were a sponge. The problem was the moment they left the temple compound, the first sin was already back on their account. So even if it was a sponge on Yom Kippur, by the following morning, they already had stuff going in their account. So those sins were only put away temporarily to be dealt with in finiteness by the blood of the Lamb. He is the lion of the tribe of Judah, but he is also the lamb slaughtered, seen that way by God before the foundation of the world. Remember what your Bible says. 
So from God's perspective, Christ has always been the answer to the Jew first and the Gentile. So whether you're Hebrew by birth or you're what we are here in Southern California, which is Mark D, we don't know. You remember Heinz 57? That's me. I have, I think I have some of everything. There's no hope in your heritage. There's hope in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And he says, but if the truth is, is what we think it is, which it is, And may these things never be. God's not going to inflict wrath as an unrighteous person. God isn't going to be unrighteous when he pours out his wrath. When God pours out his wrath on this earth, which we just finished studying in the book of Revelation, when he does that, he's going to be absolutely just and perfect when he does it. And everyone who perishes in that wrath will deserve to do so. And you know what? There's going to be a whole bunch of church people There's going to be a bunch of people who, as Jesus rightly said, Lord, Lord, did I not do great and mighty things in your name? And he will say to them, depart, for I have never known you. There's going to be radically religious people. I went to church for 40 years, God. But you did not believe on the only begotten Son of God. You believed in church. You believed in salvation by baptism. There are a lot of things that people believe gets them into the kingdom of God. And the Apostle Paul is saying, in that sense, you don't have a leg up even if you're Jewish. Even if you're of the chosen people of God you still need to believe on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved the charge here in this final section was that of antinomianism which again anti means against nomos the law you mean so we just live our lives lawlessly doesn't matter if we sin because if it doesn't matter if we're Jewish then it really must not matter if we sin because I mean remember how great it is to be part of the chosen people so if we're part of the chosen people and that doesn't matter then we should really be able to sin with impunity and Paul says oh no doesn't work that way shall we do evil the good may come If you do that, your condemnation will be just. That's why, again, the author of the book of Hebrews reminds us it's not a good thing to fall in the hands of the living God. It is not good for you to have known the goodness of God and then to have turned from it. It's not good for you to know the truth and then not live it. You see, the same legalism that characterized the Judaizers of the book of Galatians sometimes characterizes people who believe they're Christians. They think they're saved by their association. They're saved by the group that they belong to. And yet scripture says 
Even though where sin increased, we'll get to that in Romans 5, grace abounded all the more. Should we go on sinning that grace might abound? Paul answers that question there in chapter 5, heaven forbid. If we're really transformed by the grace of God, then we're really going to begin to live lives, as we're seeing in the book of Colossians, that will put off the old man and put on the new. We'll get rid of the, the junk. We'll take out the trash. We'll get rid of the garbage. We'll put on those grace clothes and walk in them. The book of Jude records this for us in the fourth verse. It says certain pers- persons who had crept in unnoticed, those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turned the grace of God into licentiousness and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. You see, there's only one name under heaven whereby men may be saved. And it is at the name of Jesus that every Jewish knee will bow and every Baptist knee will bow and every Presbyterian knee will bow and every unaffiliated other knee will bow. Because Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And to be a genuine Christian is to be under that Lordship. It's to genuinely desire to serve the one who saved. What advantage is there to being Jewish? In many ways, unbelievable. You can't even buy it. You either are or you are not Jewish. It's not for sale. And to be part of the Jewish people makes you actually related to Jesus. Wouldn't that be wild? You're going through your birth records. You know you're going online. You're doing the, you know, you're doing the heritage search. You, you do your little DNA swab. And it comes back, Jesus be freaking out amen that's the Jewish people here's the good news because we all are not we all get adopted into the family anyway amen full rights and privileges joint heirs with Christ scripture says so yes there's a tremendous man I would love get my little thing there and down at the bottom Jesus born of Mary son of God but you know what I'll take just knowing him and making him known because one day we're stepping out of time and into eternity and all these distinctions are not going to matter when we get to heaven amen amen amen